It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Hello and welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. Thanks for tuning in today. This year, with so much turmoil in the world, I wanted to feature a story that is both heartwarming and inspirational. Homelessness is a real thing and a very disconcerting one. So when a hardworking homeless man who saved his money to buy an e-bike to commute to his job and was swindled out of the money he paid to share an apartment so he wouldn't be homeless, wakes up to find his e-bike stolen, you just have to ask yourself, what is wrong with people? But John Robinson, owner of Johnny Velo Bikes in Columbus, Ohio, and the shop that sold the e-bike in the first place, didn't ask that question, but instead stepped right up to help. And there is a happy ending to this story. Then I welcome Peter and Tracy Flukey back to the show to talk about their new book, Bicycling Route 66. Last time we spoke, they had had to abandon a cross-country ride, but this time they traveled the 2,600-plus miles on their new Comotion tandem and documented the journey in a fun and informative he-said-she-said style. They will be with me in the second half of the show. Joshua is a man who works hard and is very proud of the work that he does. Joshua cleans a government building for a living and saving his money pays cash for the things he needs. He also depends on his bicycle to get him to work about 25 miles a day. What happened when his e-bike is stolen and he calls the shop to get the serial number as well as to ask for help to file a police report is nothing less than a heartwarming storybook holiday tale. I'll let John Robinson, owner of Johnny Velo Bikes in Columbus, tell the story and have your tissues handy. Hello, John. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me today. Happy holidays. How are you? I'm great, Diane. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays to you, too. It is my pleasure, and it really is. Uh, You know, we're counting down to the holidays. I love telling great holiday stories. And I wanted to highlight the kindness that you showed to a homeless man in your area, and then in turn, how your customers supported him. Tell us the story about Joshua. Who is he and what happened to him? Well, Joshua is a actual customer of ours that I got to know, I'd say over the last nine months or so. Um, He came in and originally wanted to pay cash, and he'd saved his money up and bought an e-bike from us. I didn't know much about him at the time. Uh, He wound up having some warranty issues with the bike. So Joshua was coming in, checking on the warranty issues and and things like that. And that's kind of when I started to get to learn more about his story. Um, Like most people, he was... Or I shouldn't say most people, but there's a lot of people in our country that just haven't had advantages 
for them. You know, um, I have a feeling Joshua has some education issues and things like that that have, you know, prevented him from um, moving on or advancing um, economic issues as well. You know, he has a grandmother I know that sometimes he stays at her house uh, being homeless. But for the most part, Joshua lived in a tent. Uh, and uh, he describes it as a blue tent on the south side of the city, which is about a 10-mile bike ride at least to our bike shop. And he would collect rainwater to bathe in and things like that. So um, that's kind of how his existence got along. Um, he doesn't do drugs, doesn't drink, is very, you know, faith-driven. But he's just had a very hard life and a lot of disadvantages. and. In getting to know him a little bit more, was talking. He has a job as being a cleaner in a government building. I, I don't know if it's state or federal government or local government, but it's about a mile or two north of our shop. So we would see him riding by our shop, you know, on a daily basis once we started to get to know him. And um, so his commute every day was probably, if I were to guess, close to 20, 25 miles. But he uh, was able to get this job, and he was very proud of it. He likes to show his, you know, badge on a lanyard, and he takes a lot of pride in the the fact that he works in a government building and passed the background check and things like that to to be able to do his job in there. And he works Monday through Friday, uh, pretty much, I think, until about four o'clock in the afternoon every day. He will tell you, he will clean, he will do anything. He can wax your floors, strip your floors, you know, all different kinds of things like that. He's very proud of his, you know, capabilities and what he can do. But uh, again, he just kind of was a coin flip away from being homeless or or not for a number of years. Uh, recently, he kind of let me know that he had saved some money up to get, uh, or I should say about six months ago, he had saved some money up to get an apartment. And somehow in giving the deposit to some people that were also going to go into the apartment with him, he got swindled out of the money. Oh, no. So um, after hearing that story, that sort of thing, I, I, and, uh, I, I basically just told Joshua that, hey, look, you know, we're going to cover any of the service you need, you know, parts of costs, that sort of thing. You know, I want to make sure that you're being able to get to work and get to your job and things like that. So, you know, don't fret on that. You know, just come in the shop. We'll take care of you whenever we can. Before you tell the next part, let me reintroduce you because I know the next part's going to be the tearjerker part. <laughs> We're speaking with John Robinson. He is the owner of Johnny Velo Bikes in Columbus, Ohio. We've spoken with John in the past for some other really cool things that he does, but this is really a great holiday story. Okay, let's pick it up from there. You've promised him some service and some parts at cost, which is really generous, knowing what I know about bike shops and margins, which are, you know, incredibly thin. So what happened next? So Joshua's e-bike got stolen. And some people say, well, if he's homeless, how does he have an e-bike? Well, he was allowed to bring his e-bike in to work and charge it during the day. That's how he was able to do that. Um, But it got stolen um, from his uh, uh, home or, or tent area. 
And uh, he called trying to find a serial number and was trying to file a, a, a theft report with the police and just, you know, no one would come out to help him. He doesn't have the Internet, you know, so he can't file a report online anymore, you know, that sort of thing. So I had him come to the shop. We filed a report. I also uh, founded a, a Facebook group called Bike Snoop, which is for Central Ohio, and that allows people to post their stolen bikes online and use crowdsourcing to hopefully recover a, a portion of those. What a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. We've got about 3,000 uh, cyclists in Central Ohio that follow that. If someone calls into a bike shop and says, hey, my bike's been stolen, the bike shops in Columbus will say posted on Bike Snoop, uh, Columbus Police, OSC Police, that sort of thing, follow it as well. So that's kind of diverging there. But he came in and, and we uh, filed his report and he kept hoping he would call in the shop every couple of days. Did anyone say anything? You know, that and it just broke my heart every time, to, you know, the desperation of his voice, because you know, now he was having to use just a, a beat up old bike, a cruising bike, you know, that sort of thing, just to get to work and back. That was difficult for him too. you know, doing 25 miles and working. And, um, you know, uh, it was not a, a good bike to be commuting on that sort of thing. So it got me the idea of what could we do to help him. And I reached out to him and, and said, you know, I've I've got a good customer base. Maybe we can help raise a, a portion of the funds or whatever to help cover, you know, replacing your e-bike. Yeah, I'll give it to you at cost. And would you be interested in doing that? And he was just so thankful for that, um, that I'd want to help him do that. So Right before Thanksgiving, I went ahead and sent out uh, an email to my customers and just said, you know, around Thanksgiving, it's one of my favorite holidays because it really, really makes me appreciate what I have uh, in my life and, and count my blessings and kind of wrote a heartfelt email uh, to our customer base and then explained Joshua's predicament, you know, being homeless, he's got a full time job trying to get to work every day, um, no drugs, no alcohol issues, that sort of thing. And just a guy trying to to make it day by day. And I sent it out on a Tuesday at two o'clock. I, I had it scheduled. So I'd finished the email about four days before and just had it scheduled for Tuesday at two o'clock. And I didn't think much else about it and then all of a sudden about 205 on tuesday our phone rang and it was a customer and they read the story and they wanted to donate and i thought that was great you know took down their information and hung up the phone and the phone rang again and did the same thing again and now i'm getting beeping in my phone because multiple people are trying to, to call in at the same time. And we just have one line in the shop, but it got to the point where um, literally by two forty-five in the afternoon. So it, within 45 minutes, we'd raised all the funds that we needed to 
not only get Josh uh, or Joshua a new e-bike, but to be able to get him uh, a really good uh, ABUS Bordeaux high security lock. Uh, we were able to get him a new light set. Um, and the phones continued ringing. And uh, we're having to explain to everyone now, hey, look, we've we've reached our goal. And people still were like, well, I want to help still. What can I do? You know, um, is he still trying to find housing? What can I do to help with housing? And so at that point, we started taking a list of people that wanted to potentially, if Joshua needed housing or wanted to get into housing or things like that, that we could put him in touch with them. And the list grew to, I think last time I had counted, we had about 40 names of people that were kind of willing to help. In addition to that, we were having people come to the shop with cards and gift cards and wanting to donate blankets and, and things like that for Joshua, which I, I thought was wonderful. Um, but I hadn't had a chance to talk to Joshua that day. And so I was able to reach out to him and ask him if he could come into the shop um, after he got off work. And he said, yeah. And he asked, he's like, did I get any blessings or was there any luck on your email? Cause he knew it was going out that day. And I said, yeah, Joshua, there's some, excuse me. Um, there's some blessings and there's some luck. And uh, he came in the shop and while he was in the shop, I had a customer, um, uh, I was already working with a customer who had just given me a gift card for him. And the customer was asking and Joshua was standing right behind him. And um, the guy finished and I introduced him to Joshua and Joshua was very thankful. And then another lady comes in and she's, you know, surprised that Joshua was in the shop too. And he gave him some money uh, as well. And I still hadn't told him about the bike yet. And um, I said, well, or the customer that I was working with had a card uh, with some money in it. And Joshua opened it up. And when he saw it was um, like five $20 bills, so about $100. And Joshua's face lit up and he's, oh, thank God. Now I have some money for food. Because what I didn't realize was the week before Joshua was able to save up enough money to get into an apartment. Instead of buying another e-bike, which he needed, it was getting cold or everything like that. He wanted to get into some housing. And so he'd use the money he'd save from his job to get uh, an apartment, but that was all his money. He didn't have food uh, or anything else like that. And so to see the guy's face um, light up when he saw that money, it was just absolutely incredible. I wish I, I could have captured that on video and sent that out to people because that would just melt their hearts. But um, so after that, um, because of all the phone calls and everything else, I wanted to send out a video of Joshua thanking people. 
And so I had one of my employees uh, for two reasons. Number one, because I wanted them to know how much he appreciated them. But number two, the calls were just getting out of control. Um, so I had one of my employees videotape me um, saying, you know, well, we had some luck today, Joshua. Here's, uh, uh, you know, here's um, a new lock for your bike uh, when we get the money for it. Here's uh, new lights for it. And, oh, by the way, we met our fundraising goal and you're getting a new bike. It's going to be here in a week. And he just was absolutely thrilled and a, a testament to him too. At the end of the video, um, he just took a big sigh and looked up and was just like, God is great. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not that religious of a person, but religion is very important to Joshua. And just to see him be appreciative of that was pretty touching as well. So, Are you still getting calls and donations? We aren't now because I, I sent out an email thanking everyone and put a link to the video of, of Joshua thanking them. So that's stopped those calls calls now i wish i could just you know take all those calls and all those people and collect the money and find other homeless people to help or that sort of thing um but um you know i i don't have the the resources or, or things like that to you know it, that's not my forte um but um I, i'm just appreciative that everyone wanted to help joshua in this in this uh event so so now it's the week after Thanksgiving, uh, and we're going to get this up as soon as possible because I think it's a great story. It's also perhaps inspiration to other shops or people who don't know what to do this year who are more fortunate than people like Joshua. Do you think that it really will change Joshua's life in a way that he that he may like pay it forward somehow? Yeah, you know, and that's funny because Joshua kept telling me, and even in the video, he says it. If he always says, if he wins the lotto, he's going to come and take care of me. Or, you know, same thing with our customers. Like, I'm going to come back and take care of you, or you know, that sort of thing. That's his. That's his way of saying, "Hey, look, if I ever." do well in my life. I, I, I want to come back and, and, and thank you. And what I tell him is I'm like, Joshua, I've, I've gotten enough. Thanks from this. I'm like, all I ask is that you find someone else that needs some help. So, um, yeah, to me, I learned a long time ago, charity is giving without any, any expectation of return. Well, this is just a fabulous story. Someone in our industry is doing these kinds of things. John Robinson is the owner of Johnny Velo Bikes in Columbus, Ohio. You can find him online at johnnyvelobikes.com. Yes, indeed. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. You've clearly made other people's lives wonderful. And I appreciate it. I know all my listeners will appreciate it. And when you see Joshua, you tell them him that his story is now going to go out to 
thousands more people <laughs> as the podcast will. launches. So watch out. Your phone might start ringing again. <laughs> John, thank you so much for talking with me today. Have a wonderful holiday and we'll talk again. Thank you, Diane. You too. What a great story and what an outpouring of love and support for Joshua. My thanks to John for sharing it with us. There is a link to the video on our website, OutspokenCyclist.com, and you can find out more about the bike at JohnnyVelloBikes.com. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll speak with Peter and Tracy Flukey about their most recent book, Bicycling Route 66. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. From Wisconsin to California, Tracy and Peter Flukey are once again pedaling their tandem, this time traveling iconic Route 66. Leaving Green Bay, Wisconsin on June 1, 2016, they travel Route 66 for 49 days to Santa Monica, California, 2,600 miles in total, with a running dialogue full of humor, insights, and history. Hello, Tracy and Peter. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Great to speak with you again. How are you? We are good. Thanks for having us back. We're excited to talk about our latest book with you. Well, and your latest adventure. Um, I think the last time we spoke, you had actually abandoned a ride at about 1,450 some odd miles. I remember reading that again recently. So it's nice to know that since then, you've done a couple things. You've gotten a new bike. Correct. And you've done a ride that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in, and that's Bicycling Route 66. So, you know, it conjures up all kinds of things depending on how old you are. So yeah. the first thing I want to know is about your new bike. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so the old one you might remember was a 2000 Santana Riva. So it had three by 10 and it it was specked out with 700 by 28, you know, 115 pound tires. So that's what we rode, right? And we did three cross country trips with us, served us extremely well. Um, but I finally pointed out to Tracy that, you know, we rode that bike for 20 years and put 60,000 plus miles on it. If we didn't get our act together <laughs> and buy a new bike soon, we'd be 80 and wouldn't have a new bike. And if we buy it now and put 20 miles on it, We'd be riding it when we were 80. And so she 20 finally, years 20 years, she yeah. finally, she finally acquiesced. So we have a, what is it? It's a 2020 Comotion Speedster and it's got a 14 speed internal roll off hub on it. And absolutely just love this bike. I mean, it's got 
It's got disc brakes on it. So the maintenance is easier. The braking power is great. It's four pounds lighter than our other bike. We got to ditch the, the drag brake. We it's haven't driven. Yeah. It's belt, belt drive, which yeah. would be the internal hub. So yeah, we're, we're having a good time on it. Plus we put a little bit lower gearing on it. So that helped too. So that's interesting. Our first good bike was a Comotion Speedster oh. with SNS couplers. But in those yeah. days, I'm pretty sure, well, we didn't do a roll-off, even though we were a roll-off dealer. We did do, I think we had a drum brake on the back at that time, but we loved that bike. They ride so nice. Comotion's a great company. I, you know, wish you many thousands of great miles on it. You're good. You love, did it, is it coupled or is it just a, it, yeah, it, it, is. it is. And we even got the high gloss couplers on it. So <laughs> it, have it you is. tried to pack it yet? Uh, we have not no. packed it yet. Um, we're getting, we kept our 2008 minivan because we just roll the thing in there and, um, you know, we we put it through its paces a couple of years ago, so we've got some good experience on it. We decided to ride in Kansas and Nebraska in the spring. We had 35 mile an hour headwinds and we had 50 mile an hour crosswinds. And I couldn't take my hands off the handlebars, but that bike was incredibly rideable and responsive. I was I was astounded. So yeah. they're very great happy bikes. Yeah. Dwan's yeah. Dwan's company is really a good company. And and uh I can just tell you that packing your tandem is an experience. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, we've packed the Santana, Santana. so. Uh, oh, okay. You've done it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, remember to take extra rotors with you. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, right, right. So let me reintroduce you real quickly, and then we will move on to talk about your new book, because it is a pretty exciting uh, trip that you did. Uh, we're speaking with Tracy and Peter Fluke. And we're going to talk about their new book. They they finished this ride, Bicycling Route 66, and that's the name of their new book. And I really like the format. Brian and I have always talked about doing a he says, she says about the way we build bikes. But you did it with the with this ride. And I think it was really a cool thing to do. This. So Peter got to say what he wanted to say. Tracy got to say what she wanted to say, adding a bit of detail about your experience along the way. So I don't want to give a lot of it away, but just let's take a journey down Route 66. Where did you start? Um, we start. We did the trip in 2016. We started in Green Bay where we live. We bicycled down to Chicago and then got on the start of Route 66 and we followed it all the way to Santa Monica, California. The trip was um, 26, about 2,600 miles and it took us 49 days to complete the trip. And we started in June, June 1st, I think we started and got to 49 days later, got to Santa Monica. You couldn't exactly dip front and rear like east <laughs> and west, but that's a pretty interesting like progression. In June, did you go south? You Well, Route 66 goes south. So it got hot. It it got it got hot quick. Um, we were we were OK in Wisconsin. Illinois was pretty good. Um, but by the time we hit Missouri, it was starting to warm up and then you got the humidity. But then the, the, the humidity dropped as we continued, you know, to the west. But the, the heat was nuts. And the other thing that I had a complete and utter failure on was kind of wind direction. <laughs> and 
I had this I had this romantic view of Route 66. You know, it's the old go west young man, right? And that's the way people were moving back in 1926, right? right? Exploring the West. And so I wanted to do it that way. But what I didn't really plan on was about noon, the temperature in, you know, Arizona and New Mexico is jumping up above 90. And the wind is starting to move up, you know, north of 15, 20, 25 miles per hour. So early in the morning, we're cruising along at 15, but we would try to get done by noon because as soon as we hit noon between the heat and the wind, our temp our speed was going 15, 14, 13, 12, you know, slogging in at, you know, eight miles an hour. So we we learned quickly that as soon as it was pink out, we needed to be on the bike and moving. So it's interesting. We talk about climate change, and apparently this was the hottest year on record. But now we're talking like seven years ago, and it was that hot even then. Yeah, it it was, and I've I've noted that same thing. I think some of these adventures that people have done historically are going to be more and more difficult because you know we've we've got a lot of experience, we've got a lot of background. I used to be a park ranger, dealt with people with heat stroke, that kind of thing. And when we were starting to get to the edge of, of what was safe in terms of, you know, making it from place to place. Yeah, we had a section in um, New Mexico where our maps, our adventure cycling maps were telling us, you will not have services for the next like 76 miles. And we were going through the mountains. So that morning we, um, we actually carried an extra water bag with us for this trip. Um, we typically carry six water bottles on our bike and we filled up our water bag. We, we had three or four Gatorades. And by the time we got done with that trip, we had one Gatorade left because it was out in the middle of nowhere. There were no services and we need, we needed to take care of ourselves. So we had a lot of sections like that where the services were limited and we just really had to plan ahead and make sure we were safe and we had what we needed out there. Well, that brings me to a question, which you know I'm going to ask about, uh, and I do want some highlights along the way, but I want to ask about technology. So from the trip you did uh, cross-country, your three cross-country trips, to this trip, and then even to today, technology has changed a lot. What kinds of technology did you have with you now that you didn't have, let's say, on your old bike? Yeah, so now you know we've got a we've got a, a Garmin, so we've got the the GPS on there. I can download the maps. I can do all that kind of thing. Um, that was really the only difference. Before it was just it was just a bike computer before, and that was important because when you're using those maps, you know sometimes the gravel road that you just passed, you don't know if it's the one you need to turn on. So you really have to have your mileage down to be able to to get yeah. that squared away. So we have always carried, you know, paper maps, the adventure cycling maps, and we're from an age where that's what you did, right? And, you know, even back in the in the 90s or even early 2000s, that was still a big deal. Now we'll go out on rides and I'll just, you know, download the route onto my Garmin. But I don't think I would try, frankly, any of those major three routes that we've done without paper backup maps. Um, because, you know, batteries wear out, signals go to heck, detours occur. Uh, yeah, so the, the paper maps are, if nothing else, they're a safety blanket for us, as long as Tracy doesn't lose one somewhere yeah. along the way. That sounds like another story. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Brian is a, is a map fan too. He has maps of everything. He, he likes paper maps. And I'm 
I'm okay with a paper map. I'm just not a great cartographer in that sense. All right, Tracy, <laughs> how'd you lose a map? <laughs> um, well, it was actually on our first trip. So our Northern Tier trip, we're in the middle of Montana, middle of nowhere. And of course, nature called. So I had to get off the bike and go into the weeds. And I typically carry the map in my back pocket of my jersey. And I had set it on the back of the bike, on the bag in the back of the bike to go to the bathroom. Um, came back, jumped back on the bike, and away we went. And Peter's like, well, where do we turn next? And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> the bike, the map had fallen off the bike. Um, luckily, we were on a very quiet gravel road. So we followed our trail all the way back. And here was the map sitting in the middle of the road. So, wow, you got lucky. Yeah, darn lucky. Yes. And I almost lost it another time. So, but that story is. She almost lost it in Texas on Route 66, too, in like a (laughs) 20 mile an hour wind with nothing but hundreds of miles of open field downwind and the thing hung up on a barbed wire fence. (laughs) Yeah. Thank goodness. Wow. Wow. So, was this trip self supported or did you have meals and lodging at night? It was self supported. I mean, we carry everything. we carry about 55 pounds of gear, which includes our camping gear. Um, so typically on our trips, we camp, we hotel motel, and we also use warm showers, um, which is the online community. Um, so, and that's what we did on this trip as well. The thing with this trip is because it was so warm and because there weren't a lot of services, there also weren't a lot of campgrounds. So we camped very infrequently on this trip and also hotel and motel more because there weren't a lot of warm showers either because we were in such isolated areas and there weren't a lot of people that lived there. Um, but yeah, is that we carry everything. Um, we can pretty much take care of just about everything out on the road. It's interesting that you think about Route 66, you know, when I think about the show that was on way back when, probably in the 60s, I don't even remember when, and you think of it as cities and towns and yeah so uh, the fact that you're saying it's so isolated is interesting to me it's like well why did they build that but whatever (laughs) why did they build route 66 do you know um it was really um a bunch of uh car dealers you know got Uh got together they were creating the opportunity for this new thing that they you know developed and that was one of the interests for me with route 66 because you know, we know as bicyclists and as advocates, now we have this, you know, incredible national, you know, network of roads. And sometimes we're just basically aced out of them, right? And ironically, many of the roads that we had early on were the results of bicyclists advocating through the good roads movement for, you know, having transportation facilities for bicycles. And then the, then the car came along and that, so Route 66 was one of those early, early tension points. Um, and being in the, in the business, the bicycle and pedestrian and transportation business, you know, we're looking at things. We roll into a town and see one of the first underpasses that was ever created because Route 66 got so busy. The people that lived in that town couldn't safely walk across the street. So they tunneled under the street. And it's it's just unimaginable that there was a first time that that had to happen. So these are the things that, that we were intrigued by. A lot of the roadbed was nine feet wide for the entire road. And if you had two cars coming head to head, one to just pull over and the other one would go down. Heck, we have trouble getting them to build a lane less than 12 feet wide now. All of those things really, um, I think, intrigued us. And actually, 
a lot of Route 66 that still exists is the frontage road for, say, I inter, um, Interstate 40. And it makes a phenomenal bicycle facility because you've got two nine-foot lanes and everybody wants to go fast, goes over on the freeway. And we have this just incredible um, road all to ourselves. That's really cool. Let me reintroduce you once again. Then we're going to talk about some of the highlights of, your, of the uh, trip. And then we're going to let people know how to get a copy of the book. We're speaking with Peter and Tracy Fluky. This is their fourth cross-country-ish trip. Yeah. And this is Route 66 from Green Bay, Wisconsin, where they live, all the way to Santa Monica, which is an interesting town unto itself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what are a couple of the stories that you tell in the book without giving away too many juicy parts? I think one of the, we talked about the heat and the lack of water on it. We had spent the day biked to Petrified Forest National Park and biked through there. So we were out a little bit longer than normal because we wanted to really take our time through the park, which is a beautiful park if anyone hasn't been there. And um, so we got through the park and we we're getting ready to make the last 20 miles to Holbrook. And that's where we were staying that night. And it was late in the afternoon and it was hot and it was very windy. So we're cruising along. We just have our heads down, just trying to get there. And we're just like, this is not fun anymore. And all of a sudden this van goes by and I see it turn around and come back. And Peter doesn't see this. He's just got his head down watching the road. And all of a sudden it pulls up next to us. And this young woman is leaning out the window with two ice cold water bottles. And she, and I'm like, Peter, do you want some water? And he's like, let me, let me oh, jump ahead. in. So goes, now remember, I can't see any of this. Yeah, right. I can't see the van because it's back behind my shoulder. So my very sharply <laughs> phrased response to Tracy was, no, damn it. I don't need water. I have water and it's over a hundred degrees. <laughs> I don't know this woman is next to me. <laughs> So then I say, Peter, look to your left. And he looks and he goes, oh, <laughs> goes, um, yes, please. So we pull over and the couple stops and they have two young boys in the back and they hand us this great water. And it was just such a nice act of kindness. And it got us to Holbrook and we felt so much better. We had a lot more energy after that. Just, just getting cold water and just having someone say, here, I'm just helping you out a little bit. So that was one of the highlights with acts of kindness that we run into on all of our trips. You know, it's so interesting. I don't think I've ever spoken with anyone who's done a trip like this anywhere in the world who hasn't said they are so well treated. Yes. Now, rarely are they harassed or, uh, you know, now occasionally something happens, but not for the most part. It's wonderful to hear these stories. I love them. What was your favorite? And I, I you hate to ask favorites. What was your favorite place along the way? If you could, if you had to name one. Yeah. So oh, first, Peter knows. <laughs> well, no, first I'm going to bust you for your question. Both of our daughters are home visiting right now. And it'd be like asking me, who's my favorite daughter? Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, well, you can bust me for it. It's okay. I said, I said it wasn't a cool question, but you know, I'm going to ask it but, anyway. but having, having said that, there, there were two moments um, that, that, are, you know, you, you see, you have those moments in your life that are locked into your, your, your brain and your mind's eye for the rest of your life. So these are them. So one of them was when we rolled into, um, oh, where were we? Albuquerque, okay. New Mexico. Yeah. And we all remember the, the Bugs Bunny thing. I must have taken a wrong turn at Albuquerque. Yeah. <laughs> so we were stopped on the outskirts of town and we're standing there. And this, 
little baby hummingbird flies over and lands on our bike bag. Now that's got to be some kind of right omen of yeah. something. But you then would think I so. This, yeah. Then I had yeah. this pow moment in my head, and it was like, oh my gosh, I just rode my bicycle from Green Bay, Wisconsin to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Because when you're doing the trip, right, you just kind of go day by day. You sure. take a pedal stroke one mile. But all of a sudden, in my mind, here I am, Bugs Bunny. You know, it's yeah. like <laughs> I, I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. The other one was Tucumcari, New Mexico. So it's famous for its neon light and the neon that they used to use to try to, you know, attract people to stop and, and come and stay there. But there's something about what neon light does at altitude in the low desert humidity at twilight where we were walking through town and I just, it just enveloped me. Um, it's like, you know, we've all seen that sunset that just, that just you fixate on. That was, that was Tucumcari for me, this, this glow and this feel. And I'm sure that every traveler, you know, since that's that road is opened up has had a similar type experience there and and we got to share that so yeah it's pretty cool just to give people a, a sense of the book the book is divided into chapters by state which is really cool because if somebody wants to see what goes on from a to b or from c to d you can do that where can be, the book is published it's out it is yep. okay cuz sometimes it wasn't published when when we first started talking about having you on the show, it was not yet ready. <laughs> Correct. Uh, Thank you for time. spurring us on. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, and you graciously, or your publisher graciously, asked me to uh, comment on it. So I got to have a preview of the book. Yeah. Uh, so tell my listeners where they can get a copy. And I think it would make an awesome holiday gift for anybody who's trying to figure out what to do maybe next season or in the future or just for an enjoyable read. Yeah. Yeah, you know what we just got a we just got a review from somebody and and what he said was he happens to be a cyclist who years ago rode across the country himself and he said that the book and we've heard this about both books made him feel like he was on the bike with us and it was sort of a drop the mic moment for us. Um, I don't have a lot of bicycle art because there's very little artwork that evokes the feeling of being on a bike for me. You know, you either know that feeling or you don't, you know, right. when you when you stop thinking about pedaling and the thing just sort of seems to move itself, we get to do that with two of us in sync. And so for him to to share this, but also just to say that even if you're not a bicyclist, if you're just into adventures, if you have zero interest in biking across the country, you still get a little bit of an adrenaline rush or a little bit of a pump hearing about what we did. And we were super excited about that it's come across to so many people that way. Um, if people want to get the book, the best way for us is if they buy it through our website, which is, is? www.webike, that's W-E-B-I-K-E dot org, O-R-G. That hasn't changed since the last time we talked. No, no good news, right? We're <laughs> yes, still, we're still, still here. Yeah, I like the idea of giving it right back to the... Uh, authors or to the publisher as opposed to giving it to the big a yeah so i i, I like that and that's the one we will promote well okay. so what's your next adventure you two um we're thinking of doing a ride in the spring 
from Chicago to New York. Peter keeps adding stuff though. He goes, well, we could just start in Green Bay and bike down to Chicago and then go to New York. Well, and then we're so close to Washington, D.C. We should hit that. And then we should hit all these other states. So we don't know exactly where we're going yet, but maybe Chicago to New York. But I have a feeling we're going to add a few more stops to that along well, the way. Let me, let me just give you one idea that at some point, pick up a little bit of the East Coast Greenway. Yeah, I've heard that. It's coming cool. along so well. Um, I'm on the advisory board. We just had a, 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 one of our annual meeting conversations and some really cool stuff is happening with the Greenway. And I'd love to hit, get feedback from you guys. Uh, whatever, like the Philadelphia portion is really, really nice. And of course, you might want to go from Pittsburgh to DC on yeah. the Cumberland Trail. That everybody likes that. That would be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. And maybe you'll come through Ohio. We would like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, I was just going to, I was going to say there, I haven't come up with any place yet that I don't want to go to on my bicycle. So pretty much that's all you're doing is poking the bear here. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing I didn't want to leave out is there are a fair number of people that like to read the book on Kindle yeah. and okay. both, both books are available through Amazon um, um, for Kindle readers. We don't supply those ourselves. So yeah. if uh, I still think you should have a hard copy that's signed, but that's just me. And that is true. If they buy it from you, it will be signed. Absolutely. Yes, they just need to let us know on the website and we can sign it. The thing Great. that's been interesting with our new book too is getting um, our Coast to Coast, our first book, which is about our 2014 trip, has picked up, sales has picked up on that. I think people will buy one, they'll read it and go, oh, I need to read the first one now or vice versa. So right. um, so it's really added a lot to um, our initial book and it's it's kind of fun to get the comments on both of them, so it Absolutely. Well, I hope you guys have a great holiday and get ready for the next season. Thank you for talking with me. We've been speaking with Peter and Tracy Flukey about their new book, Bicycling Route 66, www.webike.org. Have a great holiday. Thank you so much. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. All righty. My thanks to Peter and Tracy for joining me on the show. I'm thinking their new book, Bicycling Route 66, would be a great holiday gift, and you can get a signed copy at webike.org. It's also available at your local independent bookstore, online, and in Kindle format. My thanks to you for tuning into the show. You can find show notes, photos, and links at OutspokenCyclist.com, along with a written transcript of the episode. Follow The Outspoken Cyclist on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app. If you have a story of kindness and generosity you'd like to share for this holiday season, or any time for that matter, send me an email at outspokencyclist at gmail.com and let's talk. I hope you have a great day. Please stay safe, stay well, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page. Or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. 
We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.